Welcome to the Not Safe for Work Romance, where authors take you behind the scenes in our little corner of the romance writing world. I'm Shane Sterrett. And I'm Eris Adderley, and we write the kind of books that embarrass you in front of your relatives. Our episode today, The Voices in My Head, Writing Styles 101, where we'll be talking about the different writing styles authors have, that term voice you hear writers talk about so often, and why these are both unique and important for every author. So, Eris. Well, Shane, you, you enunciate so well. I need to, I need to up my game. <laughs> I, need I to don't not, know about I that. I need to not I'm... just run all my sentences together like a oh, stop. drunk hummingbird. Okay. Stop, stop, <laughs> stop. That's not true. You have a very lovely speaking voice and you shouldn't despair. It's, it's something. <laughs> uh-huh, okay. okay. So our subject tonight, um, this is a little bit more, I don't want to say esoteric, but I think at this point we're diving a little deeper into uh, the mechanics of writing than we have in previous episodes where we mostly talked about uh, ourselves or how we got into writing. And th- this is now definitely a, um, we're talking about um, the nitty gritty of writing. We're getting down into the nuts and bolts. Yeah. So definitely I, I, the nuts with what we write. Stop. Oh my God. Stop. It begins the punning. Yeah, exactly. I No, it's not even the pun. I just can't hear the word nuts and be in any way mature. Like it's not happening. I'm okay. telling you, like we have, we get almond milk and like, I just say nut milk every time. And I snicker like I'm and 13. I'm like nut milk anyway. <laughs> Great. Uh, I write Going, really serious books, and then I, when I'm just a normal person talking, I'm just in yeah, no way you're, mature. You've you've reverted to 15 years old. Yes, yes, I have. That's that that must make going to the store a whole lot of fun with you. Beef. Eh, um, I'm I'm belligerent at the store, so that's probably not my best working environment for all the oh. immature jokes. But it, it happens. Okay. I, I don't like grocery shopping. I get very cranky. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So I, th- I think, you know, one of my thoughts going into this was that these are going to be the kinds of discussions that may be very interesting and intriguing for for readers who aren't necessarily as deeply involved in the day-to-day, you know, workings of what it is uh, being a writer and for some of our author friends who may be listening in, it'll at least solidify thoughts that they may have had. Uh, or uh, I think the thing that I'm probably most concerned about is, is that they'll say, well, that's not right. That That's absolutely not what uh, constitutes a writing style. Um, but well, then be- those people should chime in, uh, other, <laughs> other authors, if they would like, seriously, hit us up on Twitter if you have other opinions about go. voice and stuff, at Romance Not Safe for Work, and tell us what's up. We're on our Facebook page, because we want to hear yeah. from people. Exactly. That's exactly what uh, what I was thinking, is, is you know, I, I'm interested to see if anyone comes back with any feedback and says, hey, you know, that's my experience, or what I was taught, uh, a, uh find to be true is different than what you guys just spent an hour or so talking about. So, sure. um, so the voices in my head, writing styles, um, I would like to hear from you first define for me what you think, what, what, what is a writing style? What does that mean to you as an author? And, and when, at what point in your writing career did that even become a thing for you? 
Okay, um, I shall refer to my notes, but I will try my best not to read them because it will sound very much like I am reading notes. <laughs> I came I came prepared. I did homework on this discussion topic. Oh my I was, gosh. I was very excited. Your topic made me very uh I was Good. very I was very into this topic. I was gonna say stimulated, but I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. Um <laughs> I, I I'm so I'm such a nerd. I'm I'm literally gonna start with a quote and honestly I can't remember who this quote is from. I think it's a uh, for those of you who survived the 60s, a Seth Jane Roberts quote. If you know who that is, cool, you're a hippie. If you don't, don't worry about it. Um, but the quote is, Perfection is a state beyond which no further growth or progress is possible and no such state exists. And I was thinking about that when I was thinking of finding one's voice because I was like, well, how do you know you found it? And I'm like, it's kind of an illusory goalpost, right? It's like... Yeah. How do I know? It's like, once I think I found it, like, then what? I don't develop anymore as a writer. Like, that's it. I've hit the thing. That's the, this is the plateau. I'm not going any further. Right. Um, and then I was kind of thinking about that. And I'm like, well, that's, for me, I'm like, well, that's nonsense. Because I feel like we're always continually honing. You know, we're always continually looking for a better way to do, to, to write, to get closer to our goals of expressing ourselves. Right. Um, and I was thinking, you know, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those things where you got like that graph of a curve, and it starts for the math nerds here, it starts getting closer and closer to zero, but it never actually gets to zero. Like I feel that's the the finding your voice. Like you, I don't know if we'll ever okay. get it, but like you're always trying to get closer. So I feel like I'm nearer than when I started out, but if I have no idea if what I'm doing now is quote my voice or or and not. don't do you not feel though that your voice has also changed? The longer you've been doing this, uh, uh, it's it's not as if you said, "Okay, well, I'm going to be a writer, and today I'm going to find my voice." And you spent, you know, an eight-hour day sitting at the computer, and you're like, "Ah, there it is." That's yeah. My yeah voice. I watched I watched three YouTube videos yes. that were exactly 14 minutes long a piece, and, and you know, now and, I know what it is. Right. It's always, I, and I agree with your earlier comment. It's always evolving, and I especially agree with. I don't think that any writer will ever find that perfect voice because I don't think it exists and say, well, that's it. I've, I've found my voice and it's never going to change. And it's going to across all novels that I write, every piece of writing I do, it will be consistent and fixed. And everyone who ever reads what I've written without even knowing who wrote it will know oh, that is uh, Eris Adderley, or that is Shane Sterrett, or that is Nora Roberts. That's Don't what I was th thinking, is that, like, maybe there's a, maybe it's, like, I can't say if I have a voice. Only someone else could say that. And I was thinking, if like, if someone else could write something in, quote, my style, whatever the heck that is, and then other people could recognize that, then maybe I have a voice. Like, you, if someone could go out right now and write something in, like, the style of Edgar Allan Poe and other people would be like, that sounds like something Poe wrote or, you know, something Tolkien wrote or whatever, then, like, maybe they have a voice. And I I honestly don't, I don't know that I have that. I, and I had put something out there under a pen name that was under a completely secret name for four months and nobody popped up like, oh, hey, or uh. I know this is you. So I kind of feel like I don't think my voice is that distinct yet <laughs> because... Nobody knew it was me. So, uh, okay. but right, except that I would argue that when I compare your voice to other writers, to me there is a very distinct difference. So, I think 
in the case of Octavia and you, um, there was no, there was the difference in the names, okay? And I never ever thought to compare the voices, person. Whereas I will, I have, and I will compare your voice to my own writing, mm-hmm. and I compare your voice to other writers, and I know that there are very distinct things about your voice that set you apart for me as a reader. Now I'm speaking as a reader, not as another writer that I love. And I've, I've said this, in fact, one of the very first things I ever wrote about you as an author was when I I wrote a review and I said, this writer, and I don't think I even really knew you at that point, this writer has a distinctive voice and I love it. Well, thank you. I mean, but that's to the point that I think maybe it's for someone else to judge. And I would agree with that. I really honestly think that's ultimately what it comes down to is that it's for our readers to judge whether we have a voice, a distinctive voice. And I think most readers would probably chime in and say, oh, yes, absolutely. You have a very distinctive voice and I love your voice or um you know, I'm sure there are readers out there that would say, "Ah, uh, yeah, your your voice really doesn't appeal to me." And, and, and that know- is sometimes true, and that's how you pick your favorites. You keep right. going back for more. Which also at least, it, like, how does one as a writer find one's voice? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's it's very interesting that you brought that up because what you just said is kind of where without even having really thought about it until you just said it, where I really think it boils down to is you can't determine what your own voice is. You may want to, you may work towards a goal that you think is what you're trying to achieve as your voice, your style. I think ultimately though, it is our readers who determine that. Um, I, I've told another author that we both know who I love dearly, uh, Jennifer Benet, that, I can tell at a certain point in her story that it's Jennifer Benet. And as opposed to a co-writer, you mean? As like opposed she, to a co-writer okay. or or it is something that just having read so many of her books that I, I've keyed in on. And that is she has this, she does it in almost every book where her protagonist or her heroine or, or her anti-hero runs their fingers through their hair in mm-hmm. frustration. It is, it, it, it's not like that's her entire writing style. Like, you know, you can't tell anything about a Jennifer Benet book until that particular one. But it is a thing that she does. It's something that she puts in. There's like, kind of some signature moves that you notice. Yes. And that's not a bad thing. It's just no. you happen to notice that this is a thing that this author focuses on or is is it's a detail they like to include like i've noticed for example i've read quite a few of jennifer's books and i've noticed that she definitely always likes to include that the heroine's hair is getting pulled yeah a lot like hard and and that's it it's hot in the scene but i'm making the point that that is a detail that right and that's all part of this is the book that i'm you know i know who i'm reading (laughs) right and that's all part of her style and when i mentioned it to her one time you know, she acted at that point. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Jennifer, you do realize that you have someone, whether it 
it's Thalia or James or whomever running their fingers through their hair in first. And she's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, yes, you do. And then she later on, she kind of copped to it and said, yeah, I guess I, I do kind of use that. And I'm like, yeah, that's part of your style. Part of, you know, we all have certain things that we key in on when we're writing that we bring to the table that we then incorporate in our writing that makes that unique to us. Now, I'm not saying that no other writer ever does that particular uh, gesture, but it's unique to her. At it's least. a thing that you can notice and feel yeah. like, oh, this is a familiar thing. I am at home here. I'm comfortable. Like, I know right. what I'm, I, I know what I've got. Um, right. I think and, when we... And, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and as readers, when you read someone that you enjoy, you start to pick up on those little details, those things. Um, you know, with you, it is the way that you use words that are so descriptive. Um, to me, there that's one of the things when I wrote that review, one of the very first that drew me into your story was that the language was so rich. And I've always said that about your writing. You have such a rich vocabulary. Now that appeals to me as a reader much so. Yeah. And so, some it, people don't like, like I have that in I, my notes for later, but yeah, some people not so thrilled about that, but. <laughs> right. But that is part of your style that uh, I know we started off this episode with the voices in my head. And I'm not going to speak for every writer, obviously, but I hear myself in my head when I'm rereading or when mm -hmm. I'm writing, I hear that voice in my head. Um, and when I read you, I don't hear the same voice that I hear in my head when I'm writing for myself. I hear your voice. Do you think that's because it's just a, it's a foreign because it's like outside of uh, I I'm not. 100% honestly sure. That's an interesting why. way of putting it though. Because here's the other thing, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later on too, is that when I'm reading another writer who I really enjoy, like yourself or Jennifer or Livia Grant or Addison Kane or Myra, there are times when as a writer, I go, oh God, I so want to, I wish I had written that or I wish I had written that style that way. And we're going to talk about that because that gets into a little bit of a fuzzy gray area. Yeah. I, I had, I had, I had some things noted about that because it just, as far as the idea of finding your own voice, I was right. kind of feeling like, you know, when you get started, all you can do is kind of look at examples of other people's writing that you like and, and you can, and use that as some sort of idea of what is good and work from there. Like we all got to start somewhere, you know what right. I mean? Like when exactly. I, when I first wrote the eighth house and it was still on literotica, I got a couple of comments saying that this reminded people of things by Anne Rice, which I'm not trying to compare myself. Like, let's be serious. But, um, the comment made sense because I had grown up reading a ton of her books and I really love them. So I'm sure that like in my subconscious somewhere, my head was like, this is what good writing looks like. And yeah. it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but that I'm sure was like, you know, a model for me of like, oh, this is enjoyable this way. Right. Um, but I think eventually, you know, you're going to like, if you keep going, you're going to start, you know, peeling back the layers of the onion and 
keep the things that are working for you and get rid of things that are just, you know, this is just stuff you've been told to do as a writer, but maybe you decide, you know what, this is not useful to me. I'm comfortable with this process, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that is important because I think that's part of what sets every writer apart from a different writer. And now, you know me, I've, I love Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to write like Hunter S. Thompson. Because I think you'd I have to do a lot more drugs. <laughs> well, I, it's not that I'm not willing to try, okay? <laughs> if that's what... No, but honestly, the, the, but the, the difference is that while I love reading Hunter S. Thompson as a reader, mm-hmm. as a writer, I've tried to mimic him on occasion, like in posts and in other things, and I can't make myself do I can't make myself write like Hunter S. Thompson because I don't have that voice in my head. And and you're not, you know, it's like each of us is comprised of a million different ingredients of our own personal histories and emotional baggage and experiences. And there's it's like you're not gonna be able to you you can only write like you, but in the beginning you don't know what the hell that is. Exactly. So you just gotta like, you know, do what you can do until you start chipping away what isn't you and then what is. I, have, I only think the only place is that where we have to maintain some self-awareness as writers is not to get to this point. Like, you want to be confident, but you don't want to get to the point where you're so overconfident that, like, you cross a threshold and then you won't listen to anybody's feedback at all. Oh, absolutely. Because I feel like you get, like, to this point where, uh, you know, you, you've got alpha readers uh, and stuff, and y- even they're like, oh, they, they just realize certain topics, if, you, if they're brought up to you, that you're just not going to listen. And right. it's like, that's not helping you grow. So I think that's always, you know, you surround yourself with yes people. So I think that's um, that is a that place is, where we need to be self-aware. Exactly. Because that does not serve you well as a writer. Um, if you just believe that, well, there's no, it goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning. There's no room for improvement. I have reached that zero point. And that, I don't believe, like you said, will ever happen. It, it it's an, It's something that you should strive for, let's say, but you're never going to actually reach it. There are always going to be things about your writing that readers are going to bring up to you that you're going to, that you should, as a writer, listen to. And yeah, you don't have to take everyone, you know, writing should never be by committee, but there are things that you should, as a writer, at least consider, take into consideration as your writing and then change, adjust, I, I, I guess would be the uh, the best way I can put it, so that it becomes, work on. work on, so that it becomes part of your style. Right. Now, for myself, I'm still at the point, because I've only got four books out, and I'm, you know, I'm writing all the time, and I, I go back and I you read You are books. writing all the time. Like, I, in the last <laughs> two years that I have been writing a book, one book, how many books have you put out and are in the middle of writing, are... It's you're writing, Paul. You're writing a lot. Okay, so don't be like only four books, dude. Like you got books coming. Like things are just everywhere. (laughs) Okay, yes, and I've been very fortunate recently of the pandemic of having the silver lining time. (laughs) Exactly. That means uh, it's my voice has changed over those four books. A lot 
voice changing has been because I'm not just writing for Cynthia any longer. I, I go back and I look at the original, original um, submissive lies when it was just called Jen's story, and it was so conscious. In it many was so. It, what, what was it again? I didn't catch that. It was so stream of consciousness. Stream of consciousness. Okay. Yeah, where is um, very loose and it, it was so much more actually uh, as if it were just thoughts in Ted because sure. uh, that was pretty much it was a uh, uh, first person and it was a lot of it was just her thought on what she was doing. Now I look at I publishing and it is by far a much better book. My voice changed through the editor that working, the input I got from beta readers, and all of that helped the book become something that was to find publishable. I look at it now, though, and I'm like, between Submissive Lies, Ferris, voice has grown and changed. And in my opinion, gotten for the better. I will say that there are still parts of my writing style, my voice, that I want to work on. I, you know, that I that I recognize now. And all right, very self-critical. I mean, it's just part of who we are. It's a constant uh, refining process. Yes. And I and can't speak to other writers, but I know you and I are on the same page that we're both just anal retentive. Like we just, you know, mm -hmm. we cannot settle. Nothing is ever good enough. So. Right. And, and, and worst critics. I mean, you have said things to me about your writing that I have said, oh, Eris, don't. No, you're wrong. And, and, you know, I, I have to be careful times when I said, because Knowing what I know now, I'm like, okay, but that is how she feels as a writer, Shane. And it's not for you to tell her she's wrong because it's part of your growth process. Exactly. As and a, I, I want to be self-critical because I don't right, like it. I don't right. want to get overconfident. And I want to be able to look at stuff and go, okay, this is working. There's other things I wish I could have done X, Y, and Z better. And then you know, knowing that what will I do to make the next book even better in that area than I did this time. Right. All of which I agree with. So I, I, I when you've told me things like that, you've been self-critical about yourself. I've had to stop myself and it's somewhat because I'm putting on my reader's hat and I'm like, oh God, no, please don't change. I love your voice, your style. That's what I want. And then I have to take that reader's hat off and put on my writer's hat for a moment and say, but Shane, you cannot stop any writer from growing. And, and, and for you to tell someone, oh, no, 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 don't say that I'm writing. You're wrong. It's not right either. So there's a dichotomy there. There's, there's opposing forces at work. There's one which is the reader saying, oh, I love the way you write. I love your style. And then there's the writer saying, oh, please don't talk badly about yourself, except that I know as a writer, you need to grow. So I hear what you are saying and you have the right to say that. And in 
says you should be. I mean, we all should be self-critical of our writing, but not to the point where it's debilitating, right? Sure. We well, and I think a lot of this um, push-pull dynamic between the author and the reader of, you know, the reader's like, don't change, I like it, and the author's like, but I'm trying to grow. I think you see the same thing, which is the example everyone knows, which is you have a favorite musical artist or band you like, and you're like, oh, but I only like the early albums, the later ones are crap. Well, the artist probably doesn't think they're crap. <laughs> They probably exactly. are like feel like they did a good job on that, but it's just you get used to one style and then they start growing, but you're like, yes, but I like this flavor of jelly. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. And and yeah, it is difficult. You want to always have them do things that way because it makes you feel good and you like that and there's a comfort zone. But as a writer, you, but, as an artist. You, you want to grow beyond just being locked in one narrow little, you know, lane. I know we talk as writers of being in our lane, but I think our voice is different. Our voice isn't necessarily being in. Our voice is style in which we write sure. our lane. And that, I, as you pointed out earlier, I don't think is something that you ever want to stop growing. And, and I think the nature of art is, it is not, the nature of art is not a consistent commercial product. And that is where uh, sometimes the disconnect happens. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying one, that authors should stop growing and just write the same stuff forever. Um, and I'm not saying either that readers have to like new stuff. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's how, you know, art and entertainment works. You, you like what you like, right? I mean, yeah, it, it kind of is what it is. Um, yeah, but it's just, it's kind of just the nature of the beast art is the, and, and are you writing for art or are you writing for money? Which I'm going to bring up a thousand times because so many decisions as a writer are somewhere on that axis of the art money spectrum. Exactly. You want to write, ultimately all writers want to be read. I mean, who, who was it that said, um, I can't, I cannot remember a famous author said I'd rather be read or i'd rather be dead than not and all writers want to be read of course you're going to try it in your style and your way that is to connect with readers um of course now you start bringing in the whole aspect of it you have to be able to make sure that your voice is not going to be something that turns readers off um but that they're going to want to continue to read what you're writing. That's yeah. one of the things in my particular voice that I'm still, I still don't have the 100% confidence that I I want to have. People think as a writer, I of going to do. I have a decent voice, but I'm not 100% satisfied with my voice. So it's always growing and always changing. I don't think I don't think we're ever going to be satisfied 100. percent But it's, I, it's just about what our goals are. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just it's just like what what do I want to do? And me, I want to entertain people. That is my goal, and so I write in such a way as to do that. Like my goal is not to. And I read these books, so when I say this, I'm not belittling these types of books. But my goal is not to write like cerebral literature that's depressing. Like, yeah. I, and I, again, I read those books, I like them, but that is not my 
thing I want to do with my writing. I, I wish to entertain people in the same as when you are with me in person. I joke around a lot because what I get out of it is people are smiling and laughing and having a good time. And that's what I want for people. So when I write, that's what I want them to do is have a good time. Right. So your style reflects that. That is part of your voice. That's part of your style is you are trying to entertain people, draw them into the story. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, when they close the final page, they're like, wow, that was sick. That was great. I love that. You're not trying to go off and sit on a rock somewhere and quality in life. And where do I, you know, end into the grand scheme of things. That's not the style either of us is doing. Yeah, I'm um, not. I'm not trying to write the grapes of wrath. Exactly. Like, that's that's you know not that that's not a good book. It's just that's not what no. I'm doing. And I have noticed that you know in I am in some writing groups on Facebook, for example, that are mixed types, all different types of writers. Like I'm in one group that's regional to where I live, to the mm -hmm. state I live in. So there's every kind of writer in there. Um, and you know you'll see some discussion threads, and you definitely will see those folks that are literary focused and they definitely poo poo genre fic and especially romance. And it's, you know, like this is lesser and it's like, I don't see why entertaining people is not a legitimate goal, <laughs> but th there's some folks that are just like, Oh, it's not, you know, I don't know. Oh, it, it's true. You're not the only authors that have suffered. It's actually one of the Kurt Vaughn in his books on writing. Mm-hmm talked about extensively is first started writing. He was not obviously a serious writer. He was a science fiction writer where he got shoved. And for the time, science fiction much like romance is considered today. In fact, I would say that they're probably very similar in terms of how they were perceived by the you know public. Yeah, sci-fi was like pulp. Yeah, thank you. That is exactly the term. Um, and romance was considered pulp or or. And by the way, there is nothing wrong with pulp. <laughs> no, like but, this is a topic for another show. Uh, yeah. Maybe we have another episode that has to do with uh, plotting versus pantsing or whatever. But I legit have a plot formula that is a pulp fiction from the '30s plot formula that I use frequently. <laughs> okay, right. so there's nothing wrong with pulp. Those plot lines sell. Ah, but purists, academics... They don't care whether it sells. It just needs to be, you know, which is fine. There's a place for that stuff, but that's not what I'm doing. Right. The kind of our style, right? We're not writing at... I don't even want to call it a genre. It's just not our writing. We're writing to entertain. Yeah. We're writing, and in our particular case, writing a romance about... Colored being style. It's more important to us. I've had talks with other people where, like, well, why did you pick? Didn't really pick romance. It's what I'm drawn to. Okay, I you, you write what just, you want to write. Like, you can't force yourself exactly, to write some other weird thing. Right, and I, I think we talked about this a little bit of the episodes, which was. A lot of history, you would think, well, if, you know, if Shane read a lot of history, why isn't he writing history books? As a writer, that's not what's out of me. 
that's not what attracts. That's not what it doesn't. It doesn't soul. Romance did, and yeah. that's why I started writing um, because that's what I wanted to write. The stories in my head were those stories. They weren't military stories or stories West or anything like that. So my style is collective of the, that interests me. I'm curious about how you see your style and whether it's evolved or, or I, I'm sure you will say it's evolved, but how do you being a much more pro you feel your own writing style has changed? Um, well, I will say, first of all, that like, as we were talking about before, it's kind of objective for someone else to just say what my style is. And you had made some comments on that. And sometimes it's just stuff I don't, I don't say I don't see, I just don't think about it. Like some of the things that I'm not even doing consciously, maybe another person would recognize that's happening. Um, I, I, I will say that I've, I've had people review my books that have said that my prose is minimal and sparse and they liked that. And then I've had other people say that my prose is way too purple and flowery. And if you would just cut down on the flowery language, this would be a good book. So I don't know if, how I'm achieving both of those things at one time. <laughs> like, like maybe it's the setting, you know what I mean? Like maybe, I do know that in different settings, like in contemporary, um, like in Bass Ackwards, I am more kind of minimal and blunt about the way I say things. But then when I'm writing something in fantasy, I tend to get a lot more metaphorical and stuff like that uh and i know that when i get to scenes that are important they're dramatic um i definitely do pull out all the stops like verbally like a lot of metaphors uh, mm -hmm. i don't know i do i do like to hunt down a specific phrase that like if something is important i want it to hit the reader like a gut punch like i don't want to just gloss over some important ass thing it needs to be like it, it, you see that a lot in the book where it's like something's important and now we've got a big paragraph of stuff, but when it's important, we've got like two words on one line. Like that's it because yeah, I wanted, that. to, I wanted to hit people. Right. Um, <laughs> so I know that's a, a pattern I have. Um, I would say another thing that I'm kind of aware of doing that when I, this is the probably the one thing I'm specifically aware of doing. Um, and this is, deep down in the nuts and bolts, this is not a general statement, but when I am on a prose level, like, um, when I'm just putting a sentence together specifically, I, I have an end product in mind. Like, okay. Um, the best way I always think of as an analogy for this is like, you know how there's cultures that have no written language. So everything has to be passed down through stories, oral tradition, yeah, or oral tradition. Right. Right. So, and, and typically there would be, people or a person who was the storyteller and they would learn all of the stuff and they would be able to repeat it back and people would sit around and listen to them and they'd be, you know, completely wrapped attention on that person. Um, I want my stories, if you read them aloud, to sound like a storyteller is telling them to you. Like, I okay. want it to sound good out loud, which I, is a weird thing because we, t I mean, unless it's an audiobook, which I don't have any audiobooks yet, but we typically don't read that way. We just are absorbing the words with our face. <laughs> like, um, okay. so when I'm constructing a sentence, like everything from the combinations of letters being used, like, is this too alliterative? Do we have enough S sounds or V sounds in this sentence to give the right mood I want? Um, 
to the number of syllables that are in words or the number of words in the sentence. Like I want there to be a certain meter to things. Um, I know this sounds like so weird and anal, but this is, this is my process and it's why it takes me a long time because I can't, I'm not happy if it doesn't have this in it. It's like the timing of notes on a sheet of music. I know that sounds like esoteric that, and like snobby. Totally. Um, that, that, that's, that's interesting though, because that's, when you were describing it, that's what I was, it's exactly what you just said. It sounds all musical. Like, well, I'm glad it sounds that way. Cause that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. And like, if I'm trying to make a sentence and I can't, I know what I want to express. Like I know what I need to convey to the reader. If I can't make it work somehow, like I can't find the right words or way to put words together that gives me a pleasing meter. I will change the sentence. I will figure out a different way to say, or sometimes I will even, I'm like, do you really need to say this concept this bad that you're going to say it awkwardly? And I'll just be like, no, I don't. And I just won't do it. <laughs> like I'm that stubborn about it. Um, wow. Okay. But like, I know it's corny. It's like, I want it to be like a song. Like you can't just stop in the middle. You have to keep listening until it's, you've got through it. And like, I, I straight up. So I have an example I'm going to give you. <laughs> Okay. Is good, that okay? Good. No, yes, of so course. It's it's like a short paragraph from uh, the work in progress, which as always continuing to be the mortal coil and my slow <laughs> progress on it. It's like a short, like two or three sentence paragraph of it. I'm going to read it like a normal person and then I'm going to read it how I hear it in my head. So like the okay. normal person reading is, he needed to gather his wits, needed to watch for her moves and counter, but the arena in which they sparred formed and evaporated like a fever dream. There were feints within feints and no clear boundaries to say which of them played games with whom. But as long as Medusa circled him, Perseus would drag himself back to his feet. They were together. So that's a normal pace of, re well, for me, a normal pace of reading. I think audiobooks are a lot slower, but, um, yeah. but in my head, when I'm putting sentences together and I'm going to make some percussive noises that are going to be annoying, but it's to make a point. It's like he needed to gather his wits, needed to watch for her moves and counter. But in the arena in which they sparred, formed and evaporated like a fever dream. There were feints within feints and no clear boundaries to say which of them played games with whom. But as long as Medusa circled him, Perseus would drag himself back to his feet. They were together. And it's like, it's not a repetitive meter, but it has to be something. Like, no, I can't just will... The last sentence I could say, but as long as Medusa circled him, Perseus would get up. But that doesn't have this... It feels like, oh, what happened? It cut me off in the middle. Like, it feels like... There's there's like a certain number of syllables I need to hear or I just don't accept it. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and when you were reading it the second time with your uh your hand beats, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I could hear it then. The first time you read it, and, and this is where I'm gonna say, you know, it's it's I think it's gonna be different with every reader, is it read almost um like a news report kind of of uh uh pace. Sure. Uh uh, uh, where as the second time when you started actually listening to the beats, then you could hear it. And I'm sure when people are reading it on the page, as opposed to what you just said, listening to it, you're going to start picking up on those beats. I would think more. May, I don't think people need to be like, I need to be conscious, conscious of it. I don't know that I care if anybody else is conscious of it. If it gets in there, uh, subconscious and yeah somehow that makes them like my voice but they can't put their finger on why but it's that then that's fine with me like but for me i like 
it has to be that way or I go crazy. Um, yeah. I was also, again, when I was, when I was making my notes, because I wanted to think about this and not just be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know, Shane, what is my voice? Um, I think another part of voice are the things that the author chooses to focus on when they're telling a story. Um, as you pointed out, an example of an author that, you know, there'll, there'll be someone puts their hands in their hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, or it's... there's another author that spend a lot of time talking about you, you're a reader of fantasy. And you know that there are a lot of travel scenes where we talk about the environment a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, and some authors are notorious for including a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I noticed for myself, I tend to focus on facial expressions and body language of characters. Um, if it's the POV character, like their internal physical reactions to stuff, like their jaws tightening or their, their hands go into fists or their shoulders drop or whatever. I tend to focus on that kind of stuff. Um, I was thinking setting wise, I, I, instead of spending a lot of time describing a room that someone is in or a setting that they're in, I, I tend to grab like one or two seemingly unimportant details, but just with that is enough to like encapsulate what's happening. Like what's the flavor of the space we're in. Right. So I don't, you know, for me, because I don't, I don't like extensive descriptions of scenery and stuff like that to go on and on. Like I like enough to give me a sense but I get bored, so I don't want people to get bored when they're reading my stuff. Um, right. And, but, but for readers, again, I think some readers really do love that sort of thing. I think so. And, and they find they will then tend to gravitate towards authors who provide for them. And I, I think this, again, goes back to what we said at the very beginning. You're right. It's not for us sometimes to decide as writers what our voice is. I mean, we, we will work at it and we have an idea. Readers are the ones who definitely tell us what our voice is. Now, your readers are always interpreted through their own lens. Exactly. And, they, and that's how art works. <laughs> right. Exactly. And they're going to see it differently than you perceive it. And they may even recognize things about your writing that you don't recognize. And they're going to bring that up. Um, good or bad. I, that's one of the things I've learned in the past two years is writers have brought up critics, reviewers have brought up things about my writing. And I, as hard as it's hurt, other authors have brought up things about my writing. And as hard as it's hurt sometimes to hear it, it's important because even though I'm not going to change my overarching writing style, there are things that people have brought to my attention that I've had to stop and say, okay. Either I care about how my readers enjoy my stories or I don't. Don't, then I'm just going to write whatever the hell I want. And if you don't buy it, fine, don't buy it. I don't care. But if I want to be commercially successful, if I want to have this craft be something that puts bread on the table, then I have to change parts of my writing style. I have to listen to other readers, other authors, so that it does become commercially viable. It's good. It's good to take all that information in. Like you don't have to, you know, you're not required to make every kind of modification that everyone is sure. suggesting to you, but it's good to listen when people are pointing stuff out. Like you said, that maybe you're not noticing. I mean, I know it, it seems like a pattern I'm finding is that I try to avoid doing things that annoy me. But as you pointed out, they're, you know, one man's trash. 
is another man's yeah. treasure. So there's people that probably like the things that annoy me. Like one very specific example is me, Eris, as a real life person, and you've been to my house, so you know this, I don't cook. I'm horrible at it. I say that that's very absolute once in a while, but my cooking is extends to like, let's take this processed pre-made boxed item and heat it up. Okay. Yeah. And so and that's just, I don't, as a human being, I don't like cook and food prep. I don't like being in the kitchen. I just don't like it. Right. <laughs> and so when I'm reading books and someone is, the author is going on and on about a food prep situation, I'll skim. I get bored. I'm like, this is not because a lot of people really like cooking. It's yeah. therapeutic. It's creative. And that's awesome. Like, I'm glad people like cooking because then I have things to eat. But for me, I don't care about the process. And so the, sometimes I will see that going on and on. And it sometimes to me, it comes off as the concept of author service. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When, I, when, and if, for anyone listening that does not know author, author service is when the author is including a lot of something in the book clearly for themselves because they enjoy it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy what we write. But sometimes it is gratuitously obvious that the author is going on and on forever about something that probably is not germane to the plot. They just yeah, like it. That's the key right there. You, you really notice it when an author does it. And I've done it myself when it's not germane to the plot. And, when, and it's, not, it's not like it's illegal, like you're going to get kicked out of the world of authors. It's just no. I, I notice that sometimes. Uh, and, and sometimes I'm like, okay, I, when it gets a lot, I will skim. So I try not to be like that too hard. And I know a lot of my personal interests, uh, no one gives a shit about. <laughs> so like, I don't put them in my books. Yeah. But even when it slips in sometimes, and I, I, with you, I couldn't honestly say I could find an example of that. But when I've seen it in other writers and it slips in, it, it does stand out. And if you're interested in the subject material, you're right. Readers will just go, oh, I love that. I love hearing about the recipes. And and and, and in some cases, it is like almost like getting a little mini cookbook yeah. within your much larger romance novel. But sometimes you're like, okay, we're on page three of beekeeping, and this book has nothing to do with beekeeping. Like, and one of the characters happens to be like, you know, it's not even a main character. It's like, oh, okay, okay. We don't need all this. <laughs> it's right. cool you know this, but... And my example... In, in, a, in a situation like that comes out of Ferris. I mean, it's funny because I was just discussing this today with uh, another author is I wrote the scene in Ferris that's not in the book, but I wrote it in, in, and it was a scene with a minor character and it was author service in, in a sense, because this, it was a gentleman who had been, had served in Vietnam. And I wrote this scene about him seeing his experience in Vietnam and how it related to the experience of Ferris and his quote unquote nemesis. His real, oh, okay. I, I, yeah. I have his, not read um, it yet. I need to. Uh, yeah. His nemesis in the book is, uh, is a uh, colonel. And uh, he gets the, his boss gets him together and he did, I wrote this whole entire scene about how his boss is trying to uh, make this analogy about what happened to him in Vietnam and how it relates to Ferris and the Colonel. And I loved it. thought it was a great scene and it was author service because it was a subject that I knew about and blah, 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 blah. Finished it, sent it off to the beta readers. And one of them, uh, and I'm going to uh, 
I'm going to mention her, Stella, uh, came back to me and said, why is this here? She says, it's a wonderful story. Make no mistake. But it it is a minor character who's telling it. And it doesn't further the plot. It, it it's It's just this thing stuck in. She says, it's full of rich detail and it's wonderfully written. But you could have had this entire sequence. They came into the office and he lectured them and said, you guys need to get your shit together. And you'd been 10 pages further into the story. And I was like, oh, I loved the story, but. And it was in my voice and it was but it was total author service. It was me having this idea in my head that didn't really further the and it didn't the story line. I think and author so, service isn't always bad, but again, as you as we're saying, uh, if it's not totally relevant to the plot, then I think we have to do the hard thing and like cut some stuff. You know? Exactly. That that's exactly my point. Was an example of it. It, it it really didn't further the plot. It it did not. Even when I when I ultimately took it out, I took it out completely, and I did just basically have. In fact, I think I ultimately ended up it being just Ferris ruminating on. I had to go to this meeting, and when I came out of it, I realized that not only was I chastised, but the colonel, or not only was the colonel chastised, but I was being chastised too. And in terms of the overall plot of the novel, that simple little detail said all that needed to be said, not a five page story about, you know, this minor character in Vietnam. Sure. But it sucks when you wrote all that and it's like it's good writing in and of itself. Yes. It's good writing in a vacuum. But you're like, "Eh, does this really belong here? It doesn't. Yeah. And, And in terms of my writing style, it's it's. Part of that growth process is like, okay, so I find it's it, it's another thing that happened with an earlier book too, where I wrote an entire chapter and we ended up taking it out because it's you can write these little stories within the context of a much bigger story. If they're not pertinent to advancing the plot, it 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 can be off-putting to readers. Like we talked about about some authors we know. And their writing style is to include the level of detail about things that don't advance the plot. And so you said this term, and it's it's important because it's one of those things that every writer hates hearing about from a reader. Mm-hmm. I skim. Oh, yeah, that hurts. That hurts. It does. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, it was boring. And I mean, some stuff that in the whole, you know, you can't please all the people vein, that's going to happen to some degree, some percentage all the time, but right. you don't want to hear that a lot. Like you don't want to hear because you're just like, oh, this is boring. If you hear that a lot, you're like, eh. yeah. but to the to what you were saying about how you had a couple of instances where you're like, I wrote this cool scene or a few paragraphs, and I ended up taking it out because it wasn't advancing the plot. That speaks also, I think, to each of us having different processes for getting the stuff out of our head. Yes. So it's like the stuff you're doing there on the page, I'm doing in the not writing down very much, but daydreaming and outlining stage. 
Yeah, and that's now that's going to be for another episode. Right, right. Difference. Oh, but I'm just saying, like, it's not that, you know, it's just diff- the same thing is happening at, happening at a different point because we have different processes. And we have different writing styles. And yes, we have a, a different process. Writing style and process are kind of hard to separate because yeah. my writing style is definitely as a planter. I, I plot a little bit. Uh, like, I, I have a generalized outline of where I need the story to go. And then I let the voices run, which for me means I let I let the scenes happen organically and things like this happen. I, I talked with you about this a while back when we were together. I said I'm starting to discover as part of my writing style is sometimes I need to do that. And I, I talked with Stella about it after uh, she had pointed out. I said, you know, I needed to get that scene out. She says, of course you did. I said, but I got it out in the context of plopping it in the middle of this book where it doesn't need to be. And she says, that's right. It, it, it you know, it's good to get it out. Now take it out. And it's totally fine. Like right. that's, that's what your process is. That's just well, fine. <laughs> that's my writing style. That's my process. And recognizing that though, going back in hindsight and going, wow, I've done that a couple of times and recognizing it, it, w- it was a little bit of an eye-opening experience that, Wow. Okay. So part of my process, part of my style of writing is because I am a planter that sometimes that kind of thing is going to happen. I just need to recognize it. And and be accepting that it could happen and yes. be like, okay, I'm doing the thing. Like, yeah, it's happening. I, I re- yeah. I, I recognize being able to recognize, okay, I did it. And now I need to, in the editing process, I need to fix it. I, it needed to come out. And the book is honestly, after it, uh, it was published. I went back to Stella and I said, thank you, because this book is much better for that scene not being there. It's, it's, it, it moves at a better pace. Um, and people, of course, who've read the book don't know that. Yeah, they're, they didn't see the early versions or any of that stuff right. that got taken out. Right. And so in a sense, I'm sure there may be readers out there that, that would go, oh my God, I wish that scene would had been there. I love that kind of level of detail and, oh, I feel like I was cheated. If I hadn't said anything in this podcast, they would have never <laughs> They known. would never know that was they in would, there. But, but I think it's important for readers and other authors to realize that if that is, in fact, part of your process and part of your writing style, there's nothing wrong with it. Exactly. And, and to your point of, like, how there's you can't really separate the process from the voice – as you were explaining that, I was also trying to filter my own stuff through it and like see how that applies. And I was like, I think be- like plotting works for me because because I like to, when I'm actually writing, put my focus on the way the language is constructed. Mm-hmm. I would be very upset if I also had to figure out what the hell was happening with the plot at the same time. So I like I think it works for me to get all that out of the way ahead of time as best yeah. I can because sometimes you have to pivot when you think of different things. Uh you realize there's a plot hole or something, but I like to like know where I'm going so that I can focus on like how it's being constructed. And some people call that the second draft, but whatever, this is how I write. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the, that's another you know, uh, another part of writing style is uh second drafts third drafts. I, I, I've used this term, the shitty first draft. That was the, <laughs> uh, the 
uh, I can't remember where I, who it was that used that term with me. Um, but it was like, yeah, your shitty first draft. And that's what I think of, 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 of my, what I call alpha drafts or my first draft is it's a shitty first draft. Cause then I need to sit down and go back and find those points in my writing where I've done that author service and, and, and peel them out. And, yeah. and, and yeah, you, sometimes you do that through the help of beta readers and sometimes you find it on your own. And sometimes you have a co-author that points it out to you late at night and, and practically puts you in tears. Um, but it, 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 yeah, it's important. It, it really is. It's important. Um, it was B, wasn't and, it? I made you cry, didn't I? <laughs> no, it was it was Jennifer and Jasmine when she made me take out an entire chapter Aww. in the editing process. No, here again, though. But, but it was. That's the necessary. process. Sometimes you have to write that's, some stuff down and then it may not get used. Right. So the going back a little bit uh, in our earlier conversation, we were talking about we started we started to talk a little bit about. As writers, we borrow from other writers. And that's part of the whole evolution of becoming a writer, I think. And But there is something that we kind of touched on, but we didn't go into a lot of detail, which is the idea of going a little bit too far. When you borrow from another writer, at what point does it become, well, I just want, I like this style of writing and appeals to me and I kind of want to write like that to just all out, oh, I'm just going to steal that style. And there's, there's, so it, there's a gray line there between mimicking someone and outright plagiarizing. So that was my question. I'm like, if you're not copying someone's words or their like exact plot structure or whatever, like if you're mimicking a style can that be plagiarism like well, I'm not, like that i would like to preface this that that sounds like i'm running around trying to mimic someone's style and now finding excuses for it but i was i was legit thinking about this um i like i don't know if you can play like illegally on paper you can plagiarize it's like actually plagiarism if you're writing in a style of like if i wrote a book tomorrow if i if i wrote a sonnet in the style of shakespeare but i wrote this like the words am i plagiarizing shakespeare no, and I think that's uh, kind of what – I think there's a discussion to be had between the difference between borrowing from someone's style and writing in their same style. Much like I was talking about, I would love to be able to write like Hunter S. Thompson. As a reader, I love his style. I can't do it. But if you were to literally retake what he wrote, take um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas – and rewrite it, but in your by in your quote unquote style. Mm-hmm. That's where there's that gray area. Because so when you're ta- you're talking about rewriting something someone else wrote in your style, yeah, that, that's probably plagiarism. That's that's what I'm saying. That's okay. I didn't realize that's what you were getting at out of that question. I thought it was just like mimicking the way of the, like the types of word choices a person uses or the types of things in the environment they choose to observe. Because my thought on that was like, I don't know if it's plagiarism, but I feel like if you keep doing it and you know you're doing it 
and you're not bothering to develop your own voice or style, then it, that's just kind of lazy. You know what I mean? Like, unless you're being okay. paid to ghostwrite and your job is to mimic a style. Right. It just seems and, lazy more than anything else. But if you're talking about, oh, I'm going to take the plot of Jaded and I'm going to write the exact same thing, but it's going to sound like Eris wrote it, then yeah, that's probably, I mean, I don't, I am in no means any kind of like person that knows anything about the law and the legalities of what counts or does not count as plagiarism. But like that, that does sound pretty sketchy for a person to, to be doing that. Except it, it is. Except that we've experienced that in some degree with uh, Copy Pasta Chris, because she had and that was Fiverr, very specific. Yes, she had Fiverr people taking. She was lifting other people's work, giving it to a Fiverr author or writer, saying, "Change this a little like bit, massage and then, this into something that's different enough." A different enough, so. I and being real that. smart and using famous people to copy from, like, oh you know, yeah, you're going to be a criminal. Don't be an idiot, like. Right. Don't use you know. Don't use somebody like. Not that me. I'm condoning plagiarism. If you're crafty about it, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just, yeah, right. I'm just joking. Like, okay, you're on top of being a thief. You're dumb. Right. Anyway. Exactly. Well, that's that's exactly what happened. That's what got her hung up. Right. Is that people were out there who were like, wait a minute, because that person's widely read enough that other people were like, hey, hang this, on. Yeah, this is exactly the same scene, uh, the same actions. Everything was the same, except that there was just a few minor tweaks to it so that it got into that gray area. Okay, so could she legit claim that, no, 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 I had that same idea because, you know, we've run across this. Well, no, that's, I had the same idea. I know my book is about vampires. Uh, it's just that. You know, this guy's name is not Vlad. It's flawed. Right. It, 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 it is a gray area. So it's something that I think that in terms of writing styles, authors can't just, every author should have developed their own writing style. Yeah. I think it's, you start out like, I mean, it's like anything else in life. When you're younger and you're like, I'm going to learn how to cook things, you watch what your parents are doing and you do what they did. And then you grow up and move out and learn your own things to cut. You know what I mean? It's like you got to yeah. learn from somebody, but then eventually you're going to find your own way to do it. Right. And you're going to do it your own way. You're not going to fall into the trap that I've, you know, and I'm not saying any of the authors that we know do that. I mean, but we've, we've been in groups where we've heard about these stories about people doing it. And it, you, it is a, it's a trap, you know, like, well, I'm just going to take this story and rewrite it in my own style, except that you're not really writing a story. You're basically just copying somebody else's work and changing a few words and then claiming that is your style. That's I not say, what I say. I, I say glancing at the eighth house like, yeah, yeah, that's I uh, that's, <laughs> that's but see, that's 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 not the same thing. That's Isn't a, it, <laughs> See, I don't see it that way. Because, okay, I'm just being a smart ass. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I mean, a lot of people have retold the Hades Persephone myth. I'm not, you know, yeah. and, I'm and, no, and, alone, no outlier here. Right. And retelling is is different in my mind. Somebody could retell Jaded. Um, and, you know, it could be a completely different story, but still just be a retelling of Jaded or 
uh, any story of mine. Well, was it, not Six Fifty Shades a um, fanfic of Twilight? Right now, that was a, you're 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 coming up with another thing, which is the whole idea of fanfic and and why some authors don't like fanfic because they feel it is derivative mm. of their writing style, their creation. Um, and I I mean, I literally when Jennifer asked me when I wrote my fanfic, um, asked me if she could read it. I, you know, I told the story. I balked and said, no, you You're don't like want having to. a panic attack. <laughs> right. I was. I was. I was like, oh, my God. What if she reads this and says, how dare you? Those I are my so, kids. Because if she asked to read it and wasn't like, give me that. You know what I mean? Like, right. she was probably, you and, know. And, and, and because I hadn't done anything with it, I had only showed it. It wasn't like one. you were publishing it everywhere and being like, look what I came up with all on my own. Even oh. though I have the same character names and setting as this person. <laughs> right. And I think. You know, given the groups that I was involved in, even if I had changed the names slightly, people would have keyed in on it. You know, Thalia uh, or Talia as Terry. Somebody would have said, right. wow, boy, you know, this sounds a lot like, you know. Yeah, I'm paranoid in the other direction. I'm like, I have story ideas like floating around in my to be written pile. And I'll be, someone will come, a book will come out and it will be somewhat similar. And I'll be like, fuck, I'm like, can I write this now? Like, if I write it, are people going to be like, oh, you're copying so-and-so's idea? And like, sometimes it, it is really frustrating. And there's straight up stuff I have scrapped because I'm not kidding. It was so close to something that came out. At, like, you know, I've got so many things in my like files of notes on stories that are, you know, I, I, I had the whole story in my head. Just haven't started writing it yet. Yeah, but I've there's been a couple things that have come out that I'm like I I can't even write this because everybody's gonna be like you just copied this other person's thing and I can't be over here like no dude I got a word document that's dated 2015 yeah, I yeah, promise yeah. it's really my they're not gonna believe me so I'm just like yeah. eh, fuck I don't think I could I don't think I could do this okay so, and and I and again that's again part of what I'm talking about here is that it, you. As writers, we can feel that way. As you just said, you feel that way sometimes like, wow, I don't know that I can continue with this or go on with this because it sounds too much like X that just came out. And I've been on both ends of the thing. I've had stuff where I was writing something and then in the middle of it, I, for entertainment or whatever reasons, curiosity, went to read another writer's thing in the same genre and went like, oh, shit this is really close to what I wrote and have sent the thing to the author and been like, Hey, like people that I'm friends with, not just brand new author. I don't know. Like, Hey, uh, is this cool that I'm writing this because it has X, Y, and Z similarities and I don't want to be stepping on your toes. And I've had people, you know, at least one person come to me on that front as well. And you know, it was, it was fine, but I could see, you know, when they sent it to me, like, Oh yeah, I do see the similarities at the beginning. And then, you know, the subject branched off and it became very different. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, this is quite a lot like my thing. But then it was very different. Right. So. And so we you you run that risk and you also run the risk as a, a writer denying readers something that might be they might love. So it's it's such a fine line, gray area uh, situation to know when your writing style is your writing style. Subject matters of what we write can be very much similar to something somebody's already written. Yeah, there, and there's, there's tropes are out there. Yes. They exist for a reason because we like them, but 
there are, you know, they get repeated and that's the nature of, that's why they're tropes. If they didn't get repeated, we wouldn't have a trope, would we? Right. Exactly. So it's just finding your own writing style is part of the whole process of, be, of being a writer. Um, I, I think, you know, in your heart, if and that sounds very like emotional, but it, I think, you know, if you're acting in good faith or not. Now, like, you yes. know, whether that can be proved on yes. paper or not, but I'm saying as an individual writer, you, you know what you're up to. You know, yeah. if you wrote that thing and then discovered later someone had something like it and you're like, well, hell versus like, oh, this is a really good idea. I'm just going to write the same thing and change it. Like, you know what you're doing. Don't don't front. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think the, if anything, <laughs> the reason I even brought the subject up is more of that kind of cautionary tale to say, don't don't do that to uh, up and coming writers, um, because it in the end. People get caught. And you're Everyone, not going to grow. That's not helping. Yeah. making someone else is not going to help you evolve. Right. I mean, as, as much as like I say, oh, I wish I could write like Hunter S. Thompson. I'm not Hunter S. Thompson. And I'm not ever going to write exactly like him. And I'm not trying to write like him now. Um, but I would also never say, well, fuck. If I can't write like Hunter S. Thompson, I'm going to do the next best thing. I'm just going to steal his work, rewrite, rewrite it, quote unquote, in my own voice. Yeah. And that's just that's, that's a very dishonest way of like right. achieving some goal. And it's a it's a it's a paper goal anyway, because like it's a paper achievement when you get there. Yeah. Like if you and, sell a, a billion copies or what, that's too many. But if you sell a lot of copies, but it's like, you know, that your thing is in a, in a, a mimic of somebody else's entire story, like. You know, you didn't earn that. Yeah. But, you, then, you know, I'm not saying, listen, we, we, you hear horror stories in the community and you know that there are in any crowd of people, there's always these people that are like so delusional that they believe what they're doing is that they have convinced themselves that somehow it's okay or it's yeah. right, or they didn't do the thing that was wrong. Right. They didn't do anything wrong because then, I changed it. I, I mean, I changed the, the words a little bit. So, you it, know, yeah, it's always something. So it's, it, there's always going to be those people, but yeah, I think most just, people. I think most people want to do the right thing. Yeah, they do. I, I honestly, they do. Uh, at least the authors that I've run into and and I've talked with, and the people that I'm comfortable with, they all want to do the right thing. Um, I do know that there are some people that want to achieve success, sometimes having done the hard work, and that's a trap. That's a very slippery slope. And, you know, if, 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 if the author would think, well, easiest way for me to achieve success is to not work at my own, simply borrow the, the successful role of, say, in Kane mm -hmm. or yourself or my whomever, that's, you don't want it. You want to avoid that, not the road to success. That's a trap. I mean, and it's and clear that for those folks, they're at the money end of the spectrum. And they're so yeah. far, they've fallen off the end to I'm going to do, because you can be at the money end of the spectrum and still not be a plagiarist. Like you can just, yeah. all your entire focus is marketing all day long. And like you write, you know, you have a specific niche and you write that over and over again and people want it. And like, that is fine. There is nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and and be doing it and they're all your own stories and they're all stuff you made up and it's fine. But like people can fall off the end of it and go, anything is justified if I make money off it. 
And that's yeah. where it gets, you know, pretty and that, Yeah, that's where, yeah, you've, you've, I think at that point you've crossed that line and you're not in the area anymore. Then it's pretty black and white. And that's not going to serve you well in the, in the end. You're, you're going to be ostracized eventually. Yeah. I mean, you will get, you will get. Car- just, karma's coming for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like That's right. So I'm curious. You have your own, you, you, you know, we talk about this, you writing voice. Talk to me for a moment about how that voice relates to themes, your writing structure. Is it important or are the two of those connected for you as a writer? Do you think my voice dictates some of the themes or, or is it the other way around? I choose themes and then write them in my own distinctive voice because it does go back a little bit to what you were just talking about with the eighth house. So I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts. So now that I'm hearing you say this question out loud and explain it a little more, because um, for those of you listening at home, we, we do have a, some, some talking points. And when you had written this down, I'm like, I, my, my notes say, I honestly don't know if I'm smart enough to answer this question. LOL. <laughs> You are, uh, trust me. But you like are. the way you're phrasing it now, it, 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 I don't want to say it didn't make sense before, but it, it, like now I could answer it because I think I thought you were asking something else. Because before my answer was like, I'm sure I could do all those things. Like, I'm sure I could do all those things and try to imitate someone else, but it seems like it's more work to spend that much time analyzing what another writer is doing and making sure I match that than just doing whatever the hell I want to do. Like, it just seems right. like a lot of work to, like, try to imitate someone. But I realize that's not what you're asking. Um, <laughs> I would say that I probably, the theme comes first and then the voice. And I realize that there are going to be things in common to a contemporary story like Bass Ackwards versus, you know, a historical story like Gallows Pole or something. Mm-hmm. Like, there's going to be things in common, but... Um, I would like to think, and I could be wrong, I would like to think that the voice the tone of it is somewhat different when we're talking about a, you know, trailer rental place in East Texas versus 18th century England. Like I would, I would hope that I'm changing my tone to suit those environments. I do try to do that. I don't know how successful I am at it, but I do try to do that. Like I've noticed in reviews of the eighth house, a lot of people will say, I had to get used to the writing style. It was very different. I wasn't, you know, but a chapter in, I was, I was good. But like, I've, that has been a, there have been repeat comments like that, but it, it took them a minute. So I feel like there's got to be some difference that I'm doing on purpose that people are picking up on. You're doing the purpose as a writer in terms of the theme or locale, theme, locale, uh, a historical setting, time, place. You're doing that consciously, right? I mean, yeah. you're making that choice. I'm making those choices. Like when I'm writing in ancient Greeks and it's mythology and it's gods and demigods and monsters and stuff like that, I'm making choices about what language to do. In fact, I was reading today on Facebook one of the ever ever popular threads about words that get used for people's anatomy. And it was yes. they were joking about like, what words do you use for penis and all this stuff? And there's like, these words are common and everybody's okay with it. And these words are like, oh, okay. And these words are cheesy. Don't use them. And one of the ones that was on the list of cheesy was the word prick. And I'm like, I use prick all the time. 
Like, but I was realizing I don't use it hardly ever in contemporary, but I do use it in fantasy and historical a lot. And I think because when I'm writing in those settings, I'm kind of using as a guide things I've read that were written then. Because <laughs> I do read a lot of old books. Yeah. And you wouldn't, a word we use now that I use in contemporary is like dick. I will use dick in contemporary enough. That's one of my, like, in, in the rotation of words when I'm writing a sex scene. And I don't want to say cock 400 times in one scene. Um, but for some reason, like, suck my dick doesn't sound right in, you know, on a pirate ship of- in 1716. It just doesn't yeah. sound right. It's like, okay, who wrote this? Like, did you not do any kind of, like, put any thought into the fact of the language that would be used at the time? I mean, it doesn't have to be 100% historically accurate because I'm sure... Uh, that's different enough from how we talk today that people just couldn't get into it. But, but so I noticed that I use I use the word prick a lot in in uh, yeah. Yeah, other that's settings. A, right, that's a conscious choice you're making, make based upon your particular writing style for that particular book. I right, mean, like a character wouldn't say "shut up" to someone else in ancient Greece. Like that's modern. You know, just certain right. turns of phrase, the way you talk to other people. You just wouldn't say that stuff. Like, forget inventions that didn't exist. Just ways that you would, you know, phrase things. I'm like, mm, no, that's not going to fly in this setting. Right. So I'm curious, though, that for other writers, their style may not, they may not think about that sort of thing. So they may be writing, and I, I, this is this is a bit of a stretch, so bear with me here. But Hamilton, the musical, sure, sure, is set in the 1700s, early 1800s, right? But it's all done in a kind of very modern rap uh, style. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it works really, really. But yeah, really there, well. an artistic choice was made exactly. to convey this information in a modern context. Right. The um, I'm trying to think of the uh, the uh, a knight's tale. Sure, Another, exactly. Yeah. So there are times when writers, when we choose to write things in our own style that may not be the same as how someone else would write it. Like exactly. But and that's a that's a choice that is being yes. made to consistently do throughout whatever body of work that it is. Right. Versus, you know, you're going along and you're reading your historical bodice ripper and then all of a sudden somebody says something that is just super modern. Like it's just a turn of phrase that nobody would, you know, or it's very American and it's taking place in England or something. Okay. And so all the- of a sudden, it just out of nowhere, it just jars you and there isn't another one like it. Or maybe there's one more in the book and you're just like, oh, oh, why did this happen all of a sudden? Like, then I okay. feel like, okay, we weren't paying attention, but I don't want to, you know, be criticized. That's, people. Then that, that goes into what another one of my, is consistency of writing style. So even within a, even if it's not across every book you've written, do you feel it's important that your writing style within a single book is consistent? Yes. Yes. Right? <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy answer for me. Yes. I feel like I just, okay. I, I go into it knowing what the tone is. Like, I've already decided how I want this thing to feel. And so going back to that whole thing about how I'm choosing words and choosing ways to phrase things in addition to, like, having it have a certain rhythm, mm-hmm. everything needs to fit that tone. 
So the Olympus books are, I want them to be dramatic and epic in tone. So I use a lot of, I, in my, in my work in progress, sometimes when I will send over a chapter to people that are alpha reading, I'll highlight stuff. If even I'm unsure and I'll ask them, is this okay? You know, and in one, I had one line that used the word thrice and it used it more than once. And I was like, is this word too pretentious here? Like I want it to feel epic, but I also don't know if it's just too silly and I should just say three times yeah but people came to like uh, at least one comment came back that they're like no this fits the tone of the story just leave it but even sometimes myself i'm like is this too ridiculous but i am trying to like use words that fit that tone yes so and this is a good point so within your writing style you're working towards keeping it consistent so that it isn't going to throw readers off and sound incongruous at, at that one point yeah. in the book. It's, it's, exactly. I, I do my best. I mean, I, I may not always win. You know, I may, there may right. be stuff where, you know, we're always going to, you know, not achieve every last little goal of everything, but I try my best because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do anything that jars anyone out of the page. Like, you know, when you start reading and you're conscious of the words going into your eyeballs and in your head, and then within like a paragraph or two, you're just experiencing the story like your exactly. brain is just doing magic. <laughs> exactly. And I don't want anybody to like get shaken out of the magic. Like I don't want them to be distracted or interrupted in the hallucination they're in in any way. Right. No. And, and I mean, it's, it's what we talked about earlier when they're, you don't want them to start skimming because right. all of a sudden the, the style and the tone have changed. And if, you know, Sure, it's bad when they're skimming when it's the subject matter, let's say, when we have done some author service. You also don't want them skimming when the style and tone changes erratically. And they're like, well, no, I I went into reading The Eighth House because I like the style and the tone and the voice that I'm hearing in this context and setting. And then all of a sudden, if it becomes very modern, you're going to go, Ah, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. That I don't even know that they're going to skim. They're going to stop. They're going to yeah. be like, oh, what's going on? Like they may pick it back up, but if it's just a, you know, a single aberration, but <laughs> they were like, oh, what is this? Like did another yeah, writer start writing this? What's happening? Well, yeah. And, 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 uh, although we haven't really talked about it a lot in the context of this discussion, but with co-writes, it's one of the things that you, that authors worry about is that, is this story going to sound consistent throughout unless you are deliberately separating the styles in the context of the story so that it does sound different. I'm going to only write these characters and only in this voice and this style because I want that to be very unique from the other author who's going to write this character in this tone and style and voice. And that that could work. I, I have not yes. personally co-written because I'm sure I'm too much of a pain in the ass to like, no one would want to work no. with me. But um, okay. they think they want to, but they would find out shortly that like, Whatever. You know, um, <laughs> everyone I know is a pantser. They, they would not put up with my shit. Um, but I think that would work if you, yeah, each person chose, I'm going to write this character, you know, and the other one's going to write that character because then, it feels okay to change tone or voice a little bit because you're in that POV character's head. So you're going to expect it to sound different. Right. That's a challenge for me as a single person writing something is to 
make the insides of different characters' heads sound Thank you. Like I hope that character sounds. I don't know that I do the greatest job all the time, but I try. I'm trying. I'll I'll keep trying. Yeah. I think that's important though. Again, but it also goes back to consistency of voice and style throughout. You want characters to be different. You don't want uh, like that Star Trek episode where they went to the planet and everyone was a carbon copy of the next. Mm, Yeah. You don't want that because that's going to be boring. I mean, maybe in the context of a story, it you could make it work, but it's in general, you want each character to have their own unique voice within the story. And you as the writer are the one who determines that unique voice. Then you have to make it consistent. If you don't make it consistent, if they start to blur, then the readers are going to, get again, get pulled out of the narrative. They're going yeah. to go... Wait, why does she all of a sudden sound like the hero? Why is that's not her? She wouldn't talk that way or she wouldn't say that or wouldn't do that. Right. It's like you have to commit to your character's personality and their, you know, that their you, traits. And then you have to decide, okay, would this person say this or would they not? Would they think this? Would this be in their internal monologue based on the type of person they are? Because right. sometimes as an author, you feel the thing in your head that's that wants to say a smart ass thing. But then you're like, mm, yeah, but they probably wouldn't say that or they probably wouldn't even think that because that's not who they are. Right. And that's, again, when you as you're finding your voice, not only as a writer, but within a story, you, you have to keep that consistency. So this kind of segues into the one of the next things is because if you don't keep some degree of consistency, then your readers are going to become disappointed in some cases, they're going to say, well, boy, I sure loved this story because the writer kept a consistent voice and I liked that voice. And if you go ahead and change it and decide suddenly you're going to be E.E. Cummings <laughs> and write and write an entire book in just all lowercase stream of consciousness, a, a reader is likely to pick it up maybe because they love your writing to begin with and look through this and go, what the this hell? This is not is what that? I signed up for. This, yeah, exactly. This isn't what I signed up for. And you, as a writer, have the, you know, you have the right to say, well, no, but this is what how I want to present this story, and this is. But I think you. But you, you have to accept, like, you're going to put out into the world whatever you put out, whatever you choose to put out as a writer. But you also have to accept that readers are going to react to that however they react to that like that's not something that's in your control and and doesn't you don't have any right for it to be in your control like yeah put it out there and people like it or they don't yep and you know if you care about your readers like we talk about trying to be commercially viable as writers if if that's the driving criteria you have to be thinking about that as you're writing and as you're establishing your writing style when readers give you positive feedback about something that you wrote that they say, I love that, you need to be thinking about that. Well, then that's something that resonated with most readers, maybe not all readers, but most readers. So I'm going to, I want to focus on that. I want, I want to recreate that in my next book and the next book beyond that and the next book beyond that. If you are all over the map and you try to change your style from book to book to book dramatically, I'm not talking about you know, in the context that we were a little while ago about, well, 
Like just setting and tone. Setting. Right. If you dramatically try to do that, you're going to probably push your readers away. You're probably. Gonna- because, I mean, voice is one of the main reasons that I personally will stick with an author. Like, if right. I read the first book of theirs and it's interesting, it's got plot and characters that I like, yeah, that's cool. And I was entertained and that's awesome. You know, I don't feel like I wasted my time reading this book. But I usually only go back for a second book and more books if I also like their voice. Like, yes. I've read some books where, like, this was an entertaining read. I enjoyed it. But, like, nothing was so addictive about hearing the way that this person tells me about the universe that, like, I, I have to have more of it. But the people who I'm like, yes, give me another one of those that, like, crack, then that's a voice I like to hear. Exactly. That's a voice that you as a reader like to hear, and you're going to go back to that. And when you go back to the second book, if the voice is the same, it's consistent, then you're probably going to go to the third book. And, and there's the some... There, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. You're going to keep coming back for more, which is what we want, right? We want our readers to come back for more. Um, if you just don't care about that, then yeah, do whatever the hell you want. But don't expect that readers are going to consistently come back. There are some authors whose voices I like so much that I will read stuff that they've written that is like not my kink, not a thing I care about reading about. Like that but, shows you the power of being addicted to someone's voice. You're like, I will read anything you write, even if I don't think I'm going to like this, or this is a subject on which I have no interest. Yes. But yes. then when they're writing it, suddenly it's interesting. Suddenly it's, you know, I'm here for this journey. So Right, because their voice is strong enough, has hooked you. And you're willing to go into this new setting, this new genre, this new trope, whatever, with them. Yeah, I'm like, take me by the hand. Take me on the journey. I don't care where we're going. Exactly, because I like the way you're, I like the story you're telling me about this new thing that I typically have zero interest in. But, you know, it's interesting to me because I feel like that's how I... I don't want to say choose authors because usually I choose things upon either recommendation or I've heard a lot about a book and I'll give it a shot, give the writer a shot. Um, but that's one of the ways I stay with an author is because I like their voice. I don't, I assume other people are like this also. Um, but it also seems like I see a lot of um, folks out there who really are, not that they don't like people's voices, but they're really stuck on like tropes. Like, you know, they really only want to read shifter books or they only want to read MC romance. And I'm just like, like they don't care who it's by as long as it's got werewolves in it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I, I, again, now we're, this is a different subject that we could go on about in terms of readers, our audience. Sure. Um, yes, there are people like that. Um, and, and I'm not dismissing that at all. I think No, there's nothing wrong. Like, we all... This is how yeah. art works. Your tastes are your tastes. Like, I'm not saying the way I absorb information is correct. It's just it's just what I'm doing. Yeah. It's like saying and, being, you know, right-handed or left-handed, one of those is correct. It's silly. It's just That's just what you're doing. Right, exactly. And so I think those kinds of readers, for them, the voice isn't as important as the subject matter. And there are people, I mean, that is actually, honestly, a big thing in, um, in, the uh, in the history genre is there isn't a lot of consistency in voice. And when you read history books, um, they, they're really a lot of them are all over the map in terms of that sort of 
thing. But the subject matter is what drives people. Right, to you're read. showing up for facts on a topic. That's right. That's right. And I think with readers in the romance genre that are like that, that's what they're there for. They're there for the topic. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about this guy and this girl that can shift into wolf form. Or- I'm always like a like I'll be in various groups and somebody will post a thread and they'll be like. Hey guys, I need help. I need to find, I need to see a book where, you know, the guy and the girl are together and then they break up and he comes back 15 years later and she's now, and it's like a, just an extremely narrow granular listing of like things that have to be in the book. And I'm just like, you already know the whole story. (laughs) I've got to add this exact specific thing. So I like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's, it is foreign to my brain. So I'm always like, I'm fascinated with it the same way I'm fascinated with, uh, for example, my husband and I, like our brains work in completely different ways. So sometimes I'll watch him doing a task and the way he chooses to do the same thing I would do is like completely upside down and backwards from any way I would ever even think about doing that task. And he's not doing it wrong. It's, I'm just, I'm like, I never in a million years would have thought to do it that way. Right. Because my brain just doesn't work that way. We're just different. So I'm right. I'm fascinated with that kind of query, like, you know, and, and then they've got a kid and then there's a secret baby and then they're also in, you know, whatever. I'm just making up tropes, but it's like, that's oddly specific. Right. And there are readers out there, though, that want that. That's what they want. They want that specific kind of story. It uh, appeals to them and they just want to read more and more and more of that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, like nothing wrong at all. Nothing whatsoever. But in the context of who we are, you and I as writers, voice is very important to us. So that's why we're having this episode. I mean, right. to, if, if neither one of us had any, you know, skin in the game for this kind of, of subject, we probably wouldn't have done this. We would have just said, ah, who cares about that? We'd but be we, like, and there's nothing wrong with this either. Like, I don't want people to like hear this stuff and think I'm disparaging anything. But like, instead of writing entertainment fiction, we'd be like writing short articles for click farm websites. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like it, stuff that is there to be full of keywords. And, and, and that is the purpose of it. Right. Exactly. And we could make a ton of money doing that. Yeah. Um, but that's not who we are as writers. And that is a valid job. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Copywriting is a valid job. Mm-hmm. Copywriting uh, makes people a lot of money. Yeah. Did I and, need to have, quote, a voice to write marketing copy for dildos? Not really. I not needed really. to know how to talk about dildos. That's about it. Yeah. And and describe them in such a way that someone reading the copy is going to say, yeah, that's the dildo I want. Like, hey. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it for us, the the voices in our head, the style in which we write those voices is important. And we have, we know we have readers out there for whom it is also important. So would we, could we do a, an entire discussion on those readers that simply care zip about style and, and, and voice and tone and only want subject matter? Yeah. And we probably will. Um, because we're probably actually going to hear about it after this, because probably (laughs) those people are like, we don't not care about voice. Like, what the hell are you talking about? So come, come at us because like, just because our perception of a situation is one thing does not mean it is right or the only thing. That's right. Because we're only two people in this, uh, 
entire uh, in our group. little COVID author bubble. <laughs> Right. And there are definitely going to be other authors and other readers out there that are going to come at it from the perspective of, yeah, of course, voice and tone and, and style are important to me. Subject matter, though, trumps. And I think we, we've seen it with some readers. Yeah. Subject matter trumps. With some authors, subject matter trumps their, I don't want to say trumps their style, but they've catered. For them, they've catered their writing to the subject matter more than they have to the actual style and the voice. They want to write that particular subject matter over and over and over again. Sure, of course, every right. story is going to approach it from a different perspective, but that's what appeals to them as a writer. That's what they want to do. And God bless them. That is perfect for them. There is nothing wrong with it. It's for the, within the context of what we're talking about tonight, though, it's, it, it's a little different. We're, we're it's, 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 that is a totally valid way of existing in the author sphere. Yeah. Like we just all have different ways that we want to go about this, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a craft or whatever, but this, yeah, this of type course. of art, like yeah. I personally, I get bored, <laughs> like, which is, you know, I do the thing you're not supposed to do, which is switching up like settings and genre like i mean not really genre because it's always pretty much romance but it's like you know typically you're a contemporary romance author or you're a historical romance author yeah, or you're right. a you, paranormal and, and like I, I have shit all over the place like i did the thing you're not supposed to do which is everything <laughs> but i get yeah, so bored i want to do different stuff <laughs> yeah that's what they talk about and i mentioned it earlier in the episode is staying in your lane and i made a point of saying that staying in your lane is a completely different subject from what yeah. we're talking about tonight. And I want to, now that you've brought it up though, I want to, I want to say there is nothing wrong with writers who don't stay in their lane. And there are a, some really, really, really successful writers out there within our genre that haven't stayed in their lane, so to mm -hmm. speak. By the same token, there are other authors who have had tremendous success by doing nothing but staying in their lane. But, and those authors who don't quote stay in their lane and are successful are followed because of their voice. Thank you. That's to me. And I mean, I know that someone can come back and maybe someone will and argue against that point of view, but sitting where I am tonight, right here, right now, I believe that's absolutely the case that, when an author doesn't specifically stay in their lane consistently and they, you know, they quote unquote, go all over the map. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you said. Their readership follows them, not because they're staying in their lane or they're consistently writing about the same thing over and over and over again. They follow them because of that writer's voice. That's my opinion. I agree. It is, it's I not agree. a fact. I'm not going to try to present it as a fact. It is an opinion, but I have a very strong opinion on that. Um, and I have it not only as a writer, but as a reader, because I know in my case, that's why I gravitated to the writers that I have gravitated to. Um, and in your, your, you're a perfect example of that, Eris. Um, you haven't stayed in your lane. And yet I, I love your voice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the novels of yours that I have read that I love are not in, 
there's not a single one of them that is the same as the the next novel. So Bass Ackwards is not even remotely close to the eighth house, is not even remotely close to uh, a sinner in virtue, is not even remotely close to the last domino. Truth. And truth. Um, so for me, I can sit here and argue that it has nothing to do with your lane. It has everything to do with your voice. And well, I'm, other- I'm glad that that's working out that way because that that is that was the only way I kind of resign not resign myself, but the way I decided to frame it for myself instead of worrying about. I need to stick to one thing. I'm just like, okay, but what is what what is the common thread in all the things I'm doing? And when I figured out what that was, I'm like, okay, so there is a consistent thing, and that is the voice, and that's that's fine. Right. I don't know if it's the voice or not, but the, even though I have different settings, I think thematically I have a lot of similar themes going on that people like, so I think that's what people are after too, not necessarily, you know, it's got to be cowboys or it's got to be, you know, urban fantasy or whatever. Right, exactly. So, well, I don't know about you, but I think we've probably talked this to death. I, I, I hope that this we, is we can the, make the words go the right. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly, I hope that this is one of those episodes that uh, I, I think we'll find out that I hope it appeals. Um, I know to a certain degree, people could argue, oh, God, this is so esoteric. And this is, you know, I just want to hear about sexy, sexy books. But as romance writers, this is one of those subjects that we can't, you know, you can't make this, God, I hate to say this. You can't make this sound sexy. This is part of the craft. This is. I think it's a good insight. Like, it, yeah. granted, I don't know how many people will be listening that aren't either romance writers or readers, but I kind of suspect that there's people outside of the romance landia that that maybe don't think that we even have these thoughts as romance writers. Yes. Like they think it's all like quivering members and, you know, purple prose, and that's all we're doing. And that is not what is going on. Right. You know what? And I think if, if I could walk away from this episode and future episodes, then I'm sure we'll be much like this. And with only having convinced one person outside of the romance genre that might listen into this, that, we struggle with the same things that you hear writers that are writing, you know, traditional fiction stories or whatever um, in what is supposed to be a trash genre. I would be happy because I'm proud of my trash <laughs> and I'm proud of the, the, the craft of writing <laughs> this trash because it's not. You know, I think people just going to put that label. I don't want to get off another tangent, but people just put that label because there's the dirty sex in it. Yeah. And it makes tough beans. Right. It embarrasses them or it makes them feel uncomfortable. Again, subject. But that doesn't mean everything around that is like, therefore, devalued. Like, whatever. I don't want to go off on a tangent. Anyway. Right. To get to the end, to the ends of the means is the same, whether no matter what we're writing. Right. We have to find a voice. We have to be consistent about our voice. We have right. We have to be consistent in that writing style. And when you put all those things together, it makes successful. And, you know, someday I'm going to be successful and be, you know, proud of my writing style and my voice. I mean, I already am. 
I already you should be this. proud and in right now, and you are also yeah. successful right now. Um, and I'm just going to continue working on it because it's important. And That's it's, all we could do is keep working on it. Right. That's what I love to do. So with that, uh, I'm going to say that's uh, pretty much the end of our episode tonight. Um, yes, you can find I agree. The, yeah, you can find the Not Safe for Work Romance podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And you can follow us on Facebook and also on Twitter at Romance NSFW. That's Romance NSFW, all one word. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Shane Sterrett or look for my group, The House of Sterrett. On all of my books can be found on Amazon, available for Kindle, in Kindle Unlimited, and also in paperback. And I am also on Facebook, where you can follow my fan page or join my private group, Eris Adderley's Home for Wayward Troublemakers. And I'm on Twitter, at Eris Adderley. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok. Uh, all my dirty books are on Amazon, most of them in Kindle Unlimited. Shane, shall we do this again next month? Another exciting romance writing topic? I think we should. I I, I really enjoyed this. We're up to, or we will be up to, four episodes. Four whole episodes. And may I, I know, say right? that since this episode, uh, according to our schedule, will be coming out mid-December, and we will be in the middle of nine million different holidays, I would like to say happy holidays to everyone listening. Yes, same, same for me. Thank you very much for bringing that up. I hope that everyone has a wonderful holiday season. And um, actually, the next episode after this one will be in 2021. And we will be out of 2020. Thank you. Thank God. Right. All right, right. Shane. So I'll be seeing you next time. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Bye now.